pass it on. This time of upheaval is causing me to look a little deeper inside myself, looking for some goodness. And this is what I've found. I'm more aware of my neighbor's well-being. I'm saying thanks to those who help keep my life as normal as possible. My mail carrier, my grocery cashier, my delivery person. I find myself caring about others instead of just looking out for myself. And oh, my goodness, does it feel good. Goodness is in you. Pass it on. From PassItOn.com. Atlanta's number one radio stations, Swanky 93.3 and The Heat 94.6. Radio stations has you covered. From our studios to our newsroom at KLP Entertainment. Listen on all major audio platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audacity, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Podcast, Google Podcast, YouTube and more. Notice lately how empty everything is? Empty streets, empty stores, empty schools. But I'm trying to change these empty times by being full of gratitude. Gratitude means saying thanks to the garbage collector, the medical providers, and all those who are helping every day. Things may appear empty around us, but when we're filled with gratitude, nothing is completely empty inside us. Gratitude is in you. From PassItOn.com Live from our newsrooms brings back our hit news network, SNN, with many news anchors like Arthur Brooks, Addison Hayden, and Beatrix Gemma. Brings you stories about the news worldwide. Tune in on Atlanta's number one stations, Swanky 93.3 and The Heat 94.6 radio stations. To get the latest news today, listen on all major audio platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audacity, Apple Podcasts. Stitcher Podcast, Google Podcast, YouTube, and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our channel of KLP Entertainment. Reporting live from our newsroom, this is SNN. I'm Addison Hayden. Here's your business news breaking for March 30th. Rift between gaming giants shows toll of China's economic crackdown. Activision Blizzard and NetEase could not agree on a new deal to distribute video games in China, cutting millions of players from the games in January. Last October, executives at the Chinese gaming company NetEase and the American video game developer Activision Blizzard joined a Zoom video conference to discuss the future of their 14-year partnership to offer Activision's games like World of Warcraft in China. NetEase executives were worried about new laws imposed by the Chinese government and wanted to make changes to their long-standing contract with Activision to ensure they were in compliance. But the companies left the call with drastically different interpretations of what had been said, according to four people familiar with the talks and a document viewed by the New York Times. What NetEase executives contended was a conciliatory gesture, was seen as a threat by Activision executives. A month later, the companies broke off talks. In January, more than 3 million Chinese players lost access to Activision's iconic games when the partnership ended, 
An angry NetEase employee's live streamed the dismantling of a 32-foot sculpture of an axe from World of Warcraft that stood outside NetEase headquarters in Hangzhou, China. The testy breakup, after months of talks, ended a relationship that had seemed to prove that global commerce could thrive despite deepening geopolitical rifts. A partnership that had been worth about $750 million in annual revenue, according to company filings and the video game research firm Nico Partners, had become another case study in the increasing difficulty of doing business in China. Details of the breakdown in negotiations between Activision and NetEase provide an unusual, behind-the-scenes look at how Chinese and American companies are struggling to balance the interests of the Chinese government with what they believe is best for their businesses. China's government, under its leader, Xi Jinping, has clamped down on China's largest internet companies and urged businesses to adhere to the Communist Party's priorities. It has barred children from playing video games on school days and tightened its already strict approval processes for companies to distribute new games. Last year, China's $39 billion gaming market contracted for the first time in years. The private sector in China is in a very weak position now, said Duncan Clark, the chairman of the Beijing-based investment advisory firm BDA China. The cost of accessing the China market has gone up for Western companies, and for domestic companies, there is a greater fear of arbitrary regulations. In a statement, Michael Lee, an Activision vice president, said the company's experience in China had been very positive for nearly 20 years, including its decade-long partnership with Tencent to offer Call of Duty. While it's true that the partnership you're describing took a surprising and troubling turn, it's important to recognize that this was an anomaly, Mr. Lee said. Editor's picks. Is it a melon or a cucumber? It's a cucumber melon, and it's delicious. The boss paid for dinner, and then complained the next day. What do we do? 36 hours in Panama City, Panama. Continue reading the main story. Since 2020, China's antitrust regulators have been reviewing old mergers and joint ventures that drew large amounts of foreign capital. New antitrust amendments last summer significantly raised the fine for failing to comply with those reviews. Last year, NetEase executives asked Activision to file relevant disclosures, such as annual revenues and details about parts of its business, to Chinese regulators but Activision disputed that it was out of compliance with the law or that it was required to turn over more information, according to four people with knowledge of the situation and documents viewed by The Times. In the contract renegotiations with Activision, conducted every few years since the partnership started, NetEase said it wanted to end the company's joint venture agreement, a business entity that helped NetEase distribute games from Blizzard Entertainment, an Activision subsidiary in China. NetEase said it wanted Activision to license its games directly to NetEase, which would give NetEase more control over operations and allow it to better comply with the new regulations without Activision's help. Andrew Tang, a veteran gaming executive in China with close ties to Activision, said he thought NetEase was simply using the antitrust regulations as an excuse to get a better deal. NetEase is under a lot of pressure the last couple of years because of all these crackdowns and limiting kids' play, Mr. Tang said. Ultimately, I think it all has to do with the bottom line. 
but tensions had been building before last year's contract renewal discussions, according to the people familiar with the talks. NetEase executives believed Bobby Kotick, Activision's chief executive, had made unreasonable demands over the years, two of the people said. In 2018, NetEase announced a $100 million investment in Bungie, a game developer that worked with Activision to produce Destiny, a popular game. Mr. Kotick was unhappy with the investment because Bungie was behind schedule on developing Destiny content, and he worried the investment would further distract the company from its Destiny obligations, two other people said. That year, NetEase invested in a game development company founded by a person who had until recently been a senior Activision employee, which also angered Activision, the people said. Mr. Kotick considered ending the partnership. A 2019 deal between Activision and NetEase included restrictions that prevented NetEase from hiring former Activision employees or investing in gaming studios directed by them. Those tensions came to a head in the call last October. Mr. Kotick and William Ding, the chief executive of NetEase, discussed the many antitrust regulators around the world scrutinizing Microsoft's $70 billion deal to purchase Activision, two people with knowledge of the call said. Mr. Kotick told Mr. Ding that he would consider the licensing proposal, even though he worried that a switch could rattle Chinese regulators before an important political meeting that month and cede more control over Activision's intellectual property to NetEase. At some point in the conversation, which was conducted at times through translators, Activision executives felt that Mr. Ding threatened Mr. Kotick. The Chinese government was reviewing the Microsoft acquisition, and the executives recalled that Mr. Ding said NetEase could sway the government either to block or support that deal depending on the outcome of the licensing discussion, according to two people familiar with the call and a document reviewed by The Times. But NetEase executives did not intend to make a threat and were trying to be conciliatory toward Activision, said two other people familiar with the conversation. The point they intended to make was that if Activision did not switch to a licensing deal, Microsoft would face the same regulatory hurdles when it acquired the company. Mr. Voika, the NetEase spokesman, denied that Mr. Ding had threatened Activision. He said Activision was continuing to harass and taunt companies and regulators worldwide. Microsoft declined to comment. After the Zoom call, Activision made a counteroffer. It would switch to a licensing agreement if NetEase paid it roughly $500 million upfront, rather than in payments throughout the course of the deal, according to three people familiar with the negotiations. That was meant to insulate Activision from the risk that its games could be tied up in government approval processes or be replicated without its consent. NetEase later said in a statement that Activision's terms were commercially illogical and the stage was set for the contract to expire in January. When the breakup became public in November, it sent shock waves through the Chinese gaming community. Shares of NetEase stock plunged in Hong Kong. As time was running out, Activision made a last-ditch proposal to extend the partnership for six months so gamers could keep playing while it searched for a new long-term partner, as the business news site Yukai Global reported. NetEase declined the new offer, and in a statement likened it to staying together while being divorced. 
In mid-January, NetEase contractors destroyed the World of Warcraft axe sculpture. As the contractors swung hammers at it, employees live-streamed the demolition to 30,000 people. NetEase said local law required it to clear out another company's intellectual property after the partnership was terminated. In late January, most of Activision's games, including World of Warcraft, Diablo 3 and Overwatch, went dark in China. Chinese companies, including NetEase, released games that some analysts said bore close similarities to the shuttered Activision titles. NetEase also made a recruiting pitch to former World of Warcraft players, hoping to get them to join Justice Online, a NetEase game in the same genre as World of Warcraft. Online, people posted photos of items from the Justice and Warcraft games that resembled each other. NetEase said its games did not share similarities with Activision's. Developments concerning Tottenham and their managing director of football, Fabio Paratici. A FIFA has suspended him from football activities worldwide, widening a 30-month ban imposed on him in Italy after his former club Juventus were found guilty of false accounting. So how do we get to this point? Well, in January, Pratici was handed that 30-month suspension from carrying out activities in Italy by the Italian Football Federation. Uh, that is after investigation into the alleged usage of falsified capital gains by him and 11 other former Juventus officials. Juve themselves were also deducted 15 points. The Italian FA also appealed to FIFA for the ban to be extended worldwide. In the same month, Paratici, Juventus and the other officials involved appealed the Italian FA's sanctions to the Italian Olympic Committee. Well, today, as we've been telling you, FIFA have confirmed that their disciplinary committee has decided to extend the sanctions on Paratici & Co. to worldwide football activities. And meanwhile, the results of Paratici & Juventus' appeal against the sanctions are expected next month. The Italian Olympic Committee can only decide whether the Italian FA's decision is correct. If they decide that it is, they cannot reduce or change the sanctions. Meanwhile, Paratici and 11 other former Juve officials may also face a separate criminal case. A preliminary hearing due to take place yesterday was postponed until May. Juventus and the 12 officials, including Paratici, deny any wrongdoing. Well, Paratici was meant to lead the search for Tottenham's next manager after Antonio Conte left the club by mutual consent on Sunday. Yesterday, he gave an interview to the club's media channels about their managerial situation. Looking forward about be better arrive at the end of the season and the next season better again. We don't want to speak about uh, other coaches or follow their speculation in the media because our just speculation. We are focused, we are uh, now concentrating in help Christian and help the staff, Ryan, the players. I think today the ten days to go and to achieve our target we need to we need to, we need defense. Well, Chief Porter Covey's Holocaust joins me once again. Um, Covey, where does this leave Fabio Paratici? Well, on the face of it, it uh, means that it's almost impossible for him to do his job. And so there are big question marks this afternoon about whether he can continue uh, to be the managing director of football at Tottenham Hotspur. Of course, we should point out that he and the other executives involved in this case have always said that they are totally innocent. He is appealing as well. Uh, but the problem is there, there are two investigations that have been going on. One is the sporting investigation that has been led by the Italian Football Federation, which is 
led to this ban, but there's also a criminal investigation and there was a preliminary hearing in that at the beginning of this week. Now, uh, next month, uh, Fabio Paratici is one of the executives who has appealed to the Italian Olympic Committee to have his sporting ban overturned. So you could make a case that, for instance, he could lay low at Tottenham until next month when this appeal is heard uh, and that appeal could mean that his ban is overturned and he would be free to carry on working. But then, of course, in the background, there is still this potential criminal investigation as well. Looking at the facts as they are today, when you consider what his job is, involves, uh, you know, being the director of football. How can you be the director of football if you are banned from football? Obviously, we've contacted Tottenham. We're awaiting a statement, a comment from them, some sort of clarification. Uh, but big, big question marks about whether uh, Fabio Paratici can continue in his role uh, at Spurs at the moment. And in terms of Spurs, uh, I suppose the optics here, we know that obviously he continues to maintain his innocence. We're waiting for this to be to be resolved. But having a, a manager director of football who has been accused of false accounting, how, how concerning uh, a, a, an image, a picture is that for Daniel Levy? Well, look, Daniel Levy has known about this for a while because uh, uh, Paratici's initial ban, uh, which was just for Italian football, that was announced in January. And at the time, the Italian Federation said they were going to be asking the FIFA and UEFA to extend the ban worldwide as well. So this is not something that has come out of the blue. This is something that Daniel Levy uh, would have been prepared for. It's something that they would have been dealing with behind the scenes. But if you're a Tottenham supporter at the moment, you are looking at this whole situation and thinking, uh, we don't have a manager. Uh, big question marks over whether our director of football uh, can stay. Uh, we're fourth. We have to try and finish fourth. Uh, we need a new manager. The transfer window is opening. What does Harry Kane think of all this? In the summer, he'll only have a year left on his contract. He doesn't know who's going to be the manager. He doesn't know who's going to be the director of football. He doesn't know whether Spurs are going to be in the Champions League. So very, very concerning times uh, if you're a Tottenham fan. Depending on who you are, a carbon-free future means different things. Some of us see a clean and sustainable future that is no longer suffering from a climate crisis. But some of us see moss jobs, dead industries, and a future of economic uncertainty. We can't have this conversation without having this conversation. We need to reach a green economy that truly works for everyone. Not just for the millions of people who work in fossil fuel industries like coal, but for the billions sustained by a carbon economy, like you and me. We've made huge economic pivots before, but what will it take to make this next one a fair and just transition that doesn't leave anyone behind? Another climate buzzword, just transition. Just energy transition, just transition, just transition, just transition. But what does it really mean? The climate crisis has made it very, very clear. We need to phase out fossil fuels everywhere and fast. And that means rebuilding our entire energy sector. A sector that currently employs 65 million people globally. That's 2% of the world economy. But what happens to all these people? Well, employment in coal is already declining. And as we move towards clean energy and clean jobs, we need to make sure that the transition is just and that people don't get left behind. We're throwing this term around, just, 
So let's try and really nail down what it means. It means that the big benefits of transitioning to a green economy are shared by everyone, especially those who stand to lose the most economically. In Alberta, Canada, for example, the coal industry powered more than half of its energy supply in 2015. Now, the government knew that phasing out dirty energy would impact a lot of jobs, so they created a transition fund that would help coal workers relocate for new jobs, learn new career skills, fund new businesses, and transition to retirement. But a just transition isn't just about assisting communities within richer nations who, frankly, can afford to phase out fossil fuels. It's also a global issue that addresses the need for support between countries. Because, let's face it, millions of people are trapped in a system that rich countries created. These countries have benefited from historic climate injustice. And now, they have a responsibility to help others create their vision of a green and just future. Here's the good news. The global community is beginning to follow through. And we've seen some amazing examples over the last few years. All eyes have been on South Africa's ambitious efforts to decarbonize their economy. Depending on how it goes, their plan could be a blueprint for other countries. The coal industry in South Africa is huge. It's the world's fifth largest exporter and it employs over 200,000 people. It accounts for almost 90% of the country's electricity. But the government knew that it wasn't sustainable. And given their history of inequality, they knew that decarbonizing needed to go hand in hand with economic and social recovery. At COP21 in Paris, South Africa was the only country to note the importance of a just transition in their national plans. At COP26 in Glasgow just a few years later, the publishing of the Just Transition Framework will enable South Africa to move ahead with reaping the benefits of renewable energy. It was a key moment where historic emitters acknowledged their responsibility to fund energy transitions in poorer nations. And for South Africa, it was an $8.5 billion pledge. Everyone is watching this. South Africa is potentially a bit of a poster child, but with the Just Transition, this money will help fund training programs for workers to develop new skills, bridge funds to replace tax revenues, provide capital resources, and so, so much more. In COP27 in Egypt, yet more progress was made. The day here in Sharbashif, we established the first ever dedicated fund for loss of damage. A huge step forward in global north countries agreeing to pay for damages from climate impacts in global south countries. But there are some concerns here. One in particular that is really quite problematic. The nature and quality of the funding that's pledged. Naroma Poza emphasized that additional funding should not worsen countries' debt burden. A lot of money is in the form of loans. It's a trend that's been going on for a while on climate financing. Now, these loans could put the recipient countries in a lot of debt over time, and the value is much less than you think it is. For example, $60 billion in loans have an actual value of only $22.5 billion. The money will likely end up going to private businesses and banks. And there are also just simply not enough money. According to this new plan, South Africa still needs about $98 billion to fund the transition. That's just nowhere near enough. However, there's good reason to be excited here. The South Africa partnership is already becoming a model for other countries. The Indonesian government officially launched the Just Energy Transition Partnership, which will help Indonesia shift towards renewable energies. The pledge, $20 billion. $20 billion. This is really good progress. Progress that will help pave the way towards our global climate goals. But this model still needs some work. 
because there is a moral imperative for historic emitters to assist other countries to decarbonize. Not through loans and bank guarantees, but through grants with no strings attached. Grants that allow lower-income countries to focus on building clean energy industries and look after everyone in the process. We're used to hearing the term net zero with a date next to it, and we're racing to see who can get there faster. But while our technology is moving fast, our politics really isn't. Because as we rush to meet our climate goals, if we don't center justice at the heart of every transition, we risk leaving a lot of people behind. There's a beautiful way to look at this transition as something so much bigger than a green economy. Instead of thinking about it as a just transition, perhaps it's better to look at it as a transition to justice. Atlanta's number one radio stations. Swanky 93.3 and The Heat 94.6. Radio stations has you covered. From our studios to our newsroom at KLP Entertainment. Listen on all major audio platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audacity, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Podcast, Google Podcast, YouTube and more.